Welcome back, everybody, to the Omega Metroid Podcast. It is episode 139, and just around the corner is the 20th year anniversary of Metroid Prime for the GameCube. We're excited to talk about it because, why not? It's literally the 20th anniversary of one of the greatest games of all time. We're here to talk about Metroid Prime 20 years later, and by us, or here, or we, or whatever, it's going to be today, myself, Dak, alongside Doom. Doom, how you doing, man? It's been a little bit. Oh, it's been good, you know, uh, same story as always, uh, busy as ever, but of course we also uh, got a lot of uh, a lot of really cool personal projects coming along, including uh, something that I am releasing on Friday. I'm actually very excited for, um, for Prime's 20th anniversary on Friday, because I, I know a bunch of people have stuff planned. I know a good friend of the podcast, Kiwi Talks, he has multiple stuff plan including uh, by the time this episode is released um, he should have had something released uh, on monday at that point so mm-hmm. definitely check that out i know cinemax said that he's gonna be posting a tribute and uh yeah i just got the first draft uh that i got back from my editor of something that i will be doing on friday it's a passion project that i've wanted to do for a very long time based on an early college research paper i did and i'm so happy to have it fully realized and i mean what what a better time to have it done you know yeah, man. Wow, that sounds like there's a ton on your plate right now all of a sudden. Um, no, that, that's cool. Yeah, I'm glad that everyone's getting together to celebrate. Hopefully Nintendo does as well to some extent. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, literally this Friday will be the 20th year anniversary of Metroid Prime. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Metroid Prime 20 years later. Uh, going and also... Back- Okay. And also, shout-outs to Thursday, the 20th anniversary of Metroid Fusion. Can't forget about yes, Metroid yes. Fusion as well. That's, that's very also true. Game. That's actually true, right? We, uh, well, I was going to get into that. We, It's not just the, the, yeah, it's not just Metroid Prime's anniversary. It's Metroid Fusion's anniversary as well. And we actually have a bunch of Metroid Prime and Metroid Fusion episodes coming up throughout the next few weeks because, I mean, there's so much to talk about and obviously both games released within 24 hours of one another essentially. So to do a 20 years later for both for, for both um, games is, is quite the feat. So we have 20 years later for Metroid Prime. We have the definitive ranking of Metroid Prime following this episode. We have the uh, a, a boss ranking episode for Metroid Prime. And then we'll be doing a Metroid Fusion 20 years later episode um, we'll be talking a bunch about Metroid Fusion bosses, um, looking back at Metroid Fusion, potentially, of course, one of our favorite topics, which actually that I'm looking at this, I'm surprised we're even doing this, a Metroid Fusion remake wishlist episode, but, um, I'm sure there's a lot new to talk about there. And of course, yeah, we'll be talking about, you know, um, all sorts of things for both games. So I'm excited about that. Uh, unfortunately, Andy cannot join us here today. He is, um, he's on the mend. He's not feeling great today. So maybe that's just because his body is so so excited about Metroid Prime that he just can't handle it. But we can handle it down here. We're holding down the fort. Um, yeah, so so Doom, we're going to talk about Metroid Prime. 
memories, legacy, impact on the series, inspiration, some of our favorite, you know, fun facts about the games, um, a lot about stuff, a lot of a lot of stuff about Metroid Prime, which is both you and I, you know, one of our favorite games of all time for sure. Um, I'm, you know, I feel like we ask this question a lot of each other, but is where is Metroid Prime maybe in your all time of Metroid games, and then maybe all time games overall? Where is it at? Oh, Met- Metroid Prime is my favorite game of all time, it like is. bar okay. none. Yeah, okay. I, I know. I, I believe it's Halo Three for you. That's that's your tippy top of the Metroid Prime is like. Like very close on there. Metroid Prime's a top five game for me. It's my favorite Metroid yeah. game. It's a top five game. Might even be a top three game. Um, Halo Three is my favorite game of all time, and that's no, that's no. Uh, Which is fair. Halo Three, so many, so many memories with that. Yeah. So, um, damn. I mean, that's that. The actually the the twentieth anniversary of that game is coming up in five years. So hopefully yeah. we're around long enough where I can do a, a segue, you know, spinoff episode. For yeah, that. Halo three, Halo three, and Prime three actually released like just less than a month within each other, so that'll be a very fun twentieth anniversary for those games. Yeah, I mean it'll be its fifteenth anniversary this year. Um, mm-hmm. I have the Halo three poster. You can, if you're looking on the video, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see to my my camera right, my I guess yeah, and also my right here, um, a bit of the Halo three poster that I have on my wall, and it says Fall two thousand seven. So. Uh, which is crazy that i mean metroid prime now is gonna be 20 years old that's uh <laughs> two-thirds of my life over two-thirds of my life right there which is crazy to me one of my you know one of my earliest favorite games for sure here's another time span thing for you by the way um not necessarily for metroid prime but for metroid prime 4 i read today on screen rant that metro prime 4 is now one of the last games from 2000 that was announced in 2017 for the Nintendo Switch that has not been released yet, as of Bayonetta 3 coming out just recently. No More Heroes 3 was released. Shin Megami Tensei 4 was released. Now Bayonetta 3 has come out. So Metroid Prime 4 is the last game of like the major 2017 Switch games announced in that year that is still not out, still not available to the public. Like, How crazy is that? It's wild, but I mean, I mean, we know why. Like, It's not like... Sure. It's not, it's not like, yeah... Yeah, it's we we know why, but I mean, it just you know, yeah. It, I, how many memes have you seen where like it, it was almost <laughs> a, a crazy competi- series of events? Well, yeah. It was almost like a competition between like Bayonetta fans and Metroid Prime fans. Like, who is the most like down bad for a new game, <laughs> right? For the longest time, and then we finally got Dread, which was great. But even then, like Bayonetta three took forever to come out. Metroid Prime four still not out. So yeah, that's a crazy amount of time. So in the the quarter of the quarter of the amount of time that Metroid Prime has been available, Metroid Prime four has still not come out. You can put it that way, which is uh which is kind of wild. I don't know. But you want you want to hear another crazy age fact. So right okay. now Metroid Prime uh or more time has passed between now and the release of Metroid Prime than the time between NES Metroid and the release of the original Metroid Prime. Let that sink in. Wow. I guess that's harder for me to wrap my head around because I wasn't alive <laughs> when the original Metroid came out, you know? And I didn't play the original Metroid I think until after metroid prime came out so um yeah wow that's actually wild it's it's crazy to think like especially for us like what recent releases there were but then you actually think about like wow no actually like another decade or more has passed in that time kind of wild to me but you know what else is wild the fact that metroid prime is literally gonna be 20 years old and we're gonna talk about that so we wanted to talk about a few things just you know our memories about the game 
the legacy and impact on the series, maybe inspirations, some of our favorite inspirations. But I wasn't sure where I was going to place this in the episode, but I actually want to talk about it now. So um, those of you who may be familiar with, you know, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Kiwi Talks, this person was a guest on that show. And we, I think we've talked about him on the, on the show before and on the website and on Twitter. Uh, Zoid, I guess as he goes by, one of the original like Metroid Prime developers, he was doing and has been doing kind of a 20th anniversary like behind the scenes story thread right or like multiple postings on twitter talking about like behind the scenes stories um from metroid prime from someone who actually worked on the series and on that game specifically and things you would never know unless you were working on the game or very close to it uh doom you've seen those those tweets before correct oh yeah yeah they're so awesome to read i love it yeah so there i I thought it'd be cool to maybe pick and choose and, and kind of talk about before we move on, you know, to the game proper, some of these tweets that we thought were the most interesting and ones we should, you know, encourage people to maybe check out if you haven't checked them out. By the way, on Twitter as at ZoidCTF, if you haven't checked them out before. Uh, were there any of those stories? I mean, he's posted, I think, about a dozen or maybe around there so far. Were, were there any that were super standout to you or your favorites uh, kind of things that you now are happy that you know as a Metroid Prime fan? Oh, yeah, we were talking about this before we started recording. But, yeah, the, that Freezer story hmm. on how they on how they were able to patch the code for... I don't know if it was defective GameCube units, I can't remember, or if it was, like, a certain... I, I, th- I think it was, like, a specific model of GameCube that went out that, like, a f- tiny fraction of the customers actually got. And they ended up... They ended up finding a way to patch the game for those models. And the way they tested it was by putting a GameCube dev kit in a freezer and then taking it out and testing it 15 minutes at a time. It sounds absolutely brutal, but such a wild story at the same time. But you have the tweets in front of you, so I'm sure you can give us the specifics on that. I was going to say, I have I have them pulled up because I had a few that were favorites of mine as well. That, that story you actually mentioned is from Jack Matthews. Zoid had shared it, but he was also... That's right, yes. He was a, he was a technical lead. Uh, Jack Matthews was a technical lead on Metroid Prime. So he had this story, and I'll... I'll, I'll uh, Relay it all to you because it is a pretty fascinating one. So yeah, this was about a essentially involving involving a fridge and like having to cool like GameCubes and whatever. So specifically, um, Nintendo had told them that there was a bad batch of GameCube CPUs shipped, and apparently Metroid Prime was the only game that misbehaved on those CPUs. So if you, I guess, had um, a GameCube that had one of those CPUs and you tried to play Metroid Prime. It, there would be some issues. So they saw some videos and it was clear to them what was going on. All of the animated objects were freaking out due to that. Um, but the point was that they needed to actually slow down some of the code because it was running too fast for the CPUs to handle. So they needed to be able to test this, but they only had one dev kit with that kind of like messed up CPU at Retro Studios. Uh, they couldn't detect the CPU and if it slowed down too much, the game's frame rate would tank. But if they didn't slow it down enough, it would glitch, and they had to burn new discs. You know, back in the day, they're burning CD-ROMs or whatever it is with these. They're burning, or I guess the GameCube discs in this point to uh, to test with the kit. So we, you know, it took forever for them to do it. But they figured out that to figure out or to replicate the problem, they had to make the kit cold, like to literally put it in a fridge. That's why they were doing that. They were actually taking the dev kit to replicate this problem and putting it into the freezer. And then testing the game for like 15 minutes and then running it back into the freezer, getting it cold, and then testing the CPU, uh, you know, and the dev kit again. And then eventually they figured out what the issue was and were able to 
send out new disks that had like updated code so it wouldn't interact badly with the CPU. And that was kind of like an old school patch, right? Like they would just mail you a new game um, instead of downloading a patch. But yeah, wow. Imagine you're making a game in like RPG Maker these days and you had to like put your computer (laughs) in the fridge or the freezer every 15 minutes to make sure it's working. That's kind of crazy. It actually kind of reminded me of uh, this uh, glitch that Other M had. I don't know if you remember this was mm. shortly when the game came out, but there was there was like a glitch that would soft lock you out of the game mm. permanently. Yeah. Um. I yeah. I believe it was in the Pyrosphere. Near I remember. The end yes, of the game. I remember that. And there was like something that would cause like one of the doors to like become perma locked, and there and you needed mm. to progress through that door to go through the game. Mm-hmm. And because the original Wii it didn't have the ability to know to download patches for games at that time. You actually had to like send the disc, get a new copy of the game, and they would actually like re um, and send like a, a USB drive or something your save data. And yeah. They would send you a new disc and reformat the save data on your drive so that you could progress through the game. I I I feel for anyone who went out of their way so much so to get a new <laughs> updated version of their save file for other end. But yeah, I remember that. I remember them talking. That, that's actually crazy because that was that's twelve years ago, right? Like it's crazy to see. Um, yeah, how far we have come, but also how behind the times <laughs> Nintendo was. <laughs> um, you know, I think it was acceptable in 2002, but in 2010, you know, by then we've already had bigger advances in the internet. Even maybe not to the extent we have today, but yeah, I do remember that distinctly. And it's crazy how they had to to the lengths they had to go. Honestly, it's even it's on it is a a miracle that video games are made at all. I think. I think, really, I think I feel like most developers would agree with that too. Yeah. Like, like to get a game functioning and working and to be good, I think is a miracle. Now, back then, twenty years ago, we didn't have the technology. I mean, I still think it's a miracle even today. But then, take us back twenty years I, for a game like Metroid Prime to even work at all is is bewildering to me. So, so how well, especially so well, especially something like Metroid Prime that was cross continental too. I mean, like that. I mean, that whole thing was built off of video conferences between, mm-hmm. you know, the um, the Austin, Texas staff at Retro, and then um, the Kyoto, Japan staff at Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now in, in kind of full circle here, where now games are still are, and were also very much made remotely and and over mm-hmm. long distances due to COVID. So, yeah. Wow, the time is cyclical, man, and it very much is. Um, speaking of, of that, we we want to talk later about like kind of the the legacy and impact that the the game has had, both on you know the series and maybe gaming at large. But what was the impact that the game really had on you? I mean, obviously it had a significant one because it's your favorite game of all time. So tell me, tell me this, dude. What is do you rem- do you remember getting Metroid Prime? And do you remember what you first thought about the game when you played it for the first time? Yeah, so I actually talk about... Um, actually, I, I feel like I told this story on my first episode of the podcast back when we were talking about the uh, mm-hmm. trilogy controls. But yeah, yeah I, re- I also retold the story in the, the video that I'm dropping on Friday. But basically, um, like a lot of people in the mid-2000s, I got into Metroid because of Smash. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really interested in the uh, the trophy lore and stuff like that. That really got me into the series. And uh, I initially got a hand-me-down of Metroid 2 from one of my mom's students at the time. Mm-hmm. But I was too young to really appreciate Metroid 2. Obviously, nowadays, you know, you can go back to it. Andy and I's definitive ranking of Metroid 2. I have a, uh, a much warmer opinion of that game nowadays. But back then, you know, I was too young to really appreciate it. I ended up trading it for a copy of Donkey Kong Land. But right. later, 
But later on in 2003, I was in uh, I was in Blockbuster and I saw the uh, the cover of Metroid Prime on the display, and uh, I remember seeing like vague gameplay footage of like kiosks, but it was all kind of blurry. But I was like, I knew in that moment, I was like, you know what, Samus is cool in Smash. That cover looks so imposing and cool. I want, I need to play this game mm-hmm. right now. And so, you know, I, I I begged my parents, please, can I can I take home the game? They finally succumbed to my uh, to my uh, little ten year old demands. I uh, popped the game into my GameCube, and uh, the rest is history. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm right there with you. Smash was the way I got into Metroid as well, and I would say a, a lot of people really they learned about who Samus was and what Metroid was, especially in Smash sixty four because Metroid didn't even have a game for that console, right? So it was extra weird to play this game where Met- that's the only way metroid's represented at all was that game and then you know melee coming out not too long after that so i was right there with you and um also was very kind of uh, intrigued by the lore and the trophies and what the oh this character looks really cool the character stages are really cool and i don't know if you ever got this but you mentioned obviously fusion and and metroid prime came out pretty much around the same time i got both games for christmas on christmas in uh, 2002 and i had the prima two-in-one guide i don't know if you ever got yes. this the, it was... I've, I've never well i didn't play fusion until high school so i was mm. a bit late on the fusion train but yeah I've, I've seen that guide though that's dope the prima two-in-one guide i'm sure many of you had this out there it was a single guide walkthrough guide with both games in it and so if you were someone who found yourself getting two games for christmas or your birthday whatever it was that was the the package the real deal and i got both all three of those things prime fusion and that walkthrough um that day and if i remember correctly i think the the guide was a a stocking stuffer gift and we would in my family we always go through the stockings first so which I'm sure isn't uh, <laughs> uncommon for many people, but that we would always do that first. And I got that. I was like, oh, well, there's there's a reason why I'm receiving this. And then You're I was just like, no way. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, this looks dope. Like, I remember like, you know, because I have a sister as well. So like, it wasn't like we ripped through all the gifts. We'd go like one by one and, and trade, take turns. Mm-hmm. And like, I just remember like pouring through it like really quickly. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this looks so sick. Like looking at all the images. I don't even know if I was reading the words. And then finally getting to the games and and playing. Them. It's a Nintendo sixty four. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't that, that I never had that. Re- I think, I think I got my GameCube the year before that, so I didn't have a crazy. Re- I mean, I did have a crazy reaction because that was really dope. Um, but yeah, I remember freaking out. That was I don't know if I had the craziest freak out reaction like that, but um, I think I did when I got the Wii. Actually, as sad as <laughs> maybe sad or awesome as that is, like the Wii when I because it was so hard to get at one point. I remember in the beginning, it was crazy to get a Wii. Um, the Wii was the first console I ever bought at launch day. Mm. Yeah, I didn't. I got my mom got that for me too. I think that was also a Christmas uh, Christmas gift. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean Metroid Prime was. I played both of those games a crazy amount. They're definitely my two most played metroid games probably fusion beats that just because it's shorter and, and easier to play on the go obviously um yeah i g- great time playing metroid as a kid growing up um i still remember the first time i beat uh beat the game uh, you know beating meta ridley and then waiting a week to go into the impact crater because i was afraid a little bit <laughs> and <laughs> overcome my fear um same but instead of a week it was like months <laughs> yeah yeah no it was it was a little bit of time uh, maybe it was longer than i than i remember and i remember even being scared of going into like the the space pirate labs and you know fendrana drifts before i had the the uh you know the um 
the regular the visor you needed for it, um, the X-ray visor or thermal whatever it was, thermal visor. Um, yeah, the just a, a a game that stuck with me, crazy. And I want to go back to what you said. This game is your favorite game of all time. Why, why specifically is Metroid like? Okay, you're a big Metroid fan, sure, but why mm-hmm. is Metroid Prime specifically your not just your favorite Metroid game, but your favorite game of all time? Why is it? Why is it that? It is so. This is such an overused uh, word in uh, video games, especially when it comes to AAA publishers. But it is the most immersive experience that I've ever had in a video game, and I think the closest a game has really come to that since then is Breath of the Wild. But even then, like Metroid Prime has such a unique aspect because it's such a com- it's such a perfect combination of environmental storytelling, um, music, which. That might have something to do with my video on Friday, so mm-hmm. look out to that if you want more details on that. Uh, yeah, it's a combination of environmental storytelling, the music, um, the visuals at the time. I mean, Metroid Prime still holds up, but like at the time, there was nothing that even came close to looking as good as that game did. It was, I mean, it was just absolutely incredible what that GameCube was doing at that time. And just yeah. all that together, the sound, not just the music, but the sound design too, I mean... I mean that uh, the power beam, the charge beam. Those are like those are like in my top five sound effects of all time. Up there with like the t- up there with like the Tie Fighter engine or like the uh, the home run bat sound in Smash. Like those sound mm-hmm. effects, just like perfection. Mm-hmm. And like I absolutely love it. And everything just comes together so perfectly. Nowadays, I'm able to look at it more critically. There's it's obviously it's not a perfect game. There's things where it's like you know what, there's room for improvement in these areas. But even still, I can go back to that game anytime, and it's like this perfect comfort comfort food for me. Mm-hmm. I I 100% agree, and I think there's immersion is the the key part of it, right? Like that's a big reason why you know that sense of isolation and immersion immersion is a big reason why a lot of us play Metroid in the first place, and Metroid Prime really nailed that. It's to me a full package game, right? It has. Uh, incredible like a, a great compelling story incredible like gameplay it's immersive the soundtrack's phenomenal it looks amazing like it's fun it has a ton of replayability because it's just such a good game it has a great gameplay loop you want to go back you don't need like achievements or whatever it is that you know this and that to go back you just want to go back and play it it's yeah it's a near perfect game i think there's a few things that hold it back but like especially back then things that weren't enough to hold it back and even today i think you know, the game aged very well. Like, sure, I think, I, I don't necessarily agree with people when they're like, oh, the game looks amazing by today's standards. You don't have to remake it graphics-wise. I don't agree with that. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's a 20-year-old game. It, it shows its age, but it's aged fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, and obviously the controls, not very modern, didn't exactly, and we'll get into this later, didn't exactly set any standards um, <laughs> for for its type of game. But there's still so much about the game that when you play it, it, it's a game you can go at your own pace, you explore and, and make the best of what you've learned as a player and what you've experienced, and it's just, it just takes you to another, like, alien world, which is sometimes a lot, of, you know, what video games are about, right? Like, for me, I want to either get super sucked into the world and be immersed and, and be, you know, brought along through this, like, compelling world and story, or, like, I want to play, like, a fun multiplayer game with my friends. And Metroid Prime was, like, very much one of the former, like, I had multiplayer games to play with friends or whatever, but sometimes I just want to, you know, be alone and with myself in my in my room and, like, just just like you fall, like, into, like, a great book or a great movie or a great TV show, right? Metroid Prime was one of those 
transcending kind of things for a video game for that medium that brought out those same feelings and got you into the same headspace. So yeah, I think that's I, I'm totally with you on all that. No, no surprise it's your it's your favorite game of all time. I think I think the great thing about Prime, and I I don't think it's limited to just Prime, but I think mm-hmm. Prime really set the standard. Prime can be whatever game you want to make of it. If you if you're someone that just cares about the gameplay, you know you're not someone that cares about story. You got awesome gameplay. You have solid combat and phenomenal puzzles, intimidating uh, boss designs, and really cool. Um, uh, visuals, uh, some, mm-hmm. even uh, some occasional HR Geiger inspired stuff with like the Prime Husk and stuff like that. Yep. Um, if you're a speedrunner, you know it's a it's a fantastic game to speedrun. There's tons of exploits, especially if you have some of those original copies of the game. If you're someone who does want to get engrossed in the story and does want to like take your time to like you know check every nook and cranny of the area and really appreciate the environment for what it is, you have that too, and you have even tools in the game like the scan visor that specifically benefit both the gameplay and the storytelling of the game. It's one of my favorite items of all time because of that. Yeah. It's, and, and I want to talk about that more in terms of like, just what this kind of did for the genre as well. But yeah, it gave you such a unique approach to, and, and very like varied approach and how you wanted to take the game on. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I a hundred percent agree there. And I think that's what makes it so strong. Cause you're not like forced one way or the other, you know, you're not like stuck into, half hour cutscenes to force feed you the story. It's not like a crazy rush through a bunch of different combat encounters. It has it has so much of everything in it that really it does cater to a lot of different players. Like it's it's a game that okay, like if you are into FPS games but you don't want full combat, you can't even handle that. Like this is a much slower kind of explorative kind of game. If you want something that's not just walking forward and scanning stuff, it gives you a little taste of the other side of things too. So that's it, it it excels so well in that way because of all the different things that it has to offer as a game even even 20 years later i think as metroid prime is a great game if you've never played it before you can absolutely jump in maybe you're um held back by its accessibility as a literal item but if you're able to get your hands on the game i still think it's a really awesome game to get into even in 2022 absolutely i'd agree and well obviously you know we'll probably talk about this later while some control updates would certainly be optimal, I think, for newcomers. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I also don't think the tank controls are that hard to adjust to. Although I am biased, as you know, mm-hmm. I have been playing that pretty much my whole life. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's actually let's jump into that because I think we've we've shared a lot of our fun, and we'll we'll share more fun stuff about Metroid Prime over the course of the episode. But um, talking about its legacy on on the series and its impact on the series, right? I think it's really interesting how Metroid Prime was both extremely impactful on the series in some obvious ways. And then on the other hand, not as impactful as you would think in terms of its series and and other games that are like it. So for example, obviously Metroid Prime comes out. It's a a big success. It's for the GameCube and for the series. It spawns two sequels and and like three spinoffs afterward, right? Like four of those five titles coming out within five years of Metroid Prime releasing. You have Echoes that comes out Metroid Prime 2. You have Metroid Prime Pinball. You have Metroid Prime Hunters. You have Metroid Prime 3 Corruption. Later down the line, you have Metroid Prime Federation Force. In it, in that of itself, Metroid Prime, I think, is the most successful game in terms of spawning other follow-ups to it, right? Like, if you're thinking about Super Metroid, Fusion, Other M, um, Dread, right? And then maybe if you want to count Samus Returns. Metroid Prime, I mean, has had a huge, uh, um, you know, influence on just growing the franchise. 
And obviously Metroid Prime represented in like Smash with the Forget Orphean stage and then Meta Ridley and by extension through Metroid you know, Prime 2, you have Dark Samus shows up in the mix and all these other different things, trophies that show up in the games. But then it's, it's also interesting how, in, on the other hand, a game like Metroid Prime was almost never really made again. Like Metroid Prime 2 and 3 came out, but they changed the ammo system. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and echoes, right? They changed in Metroid Prime Three. It felt a bit more linear and more, uh, you know, obviously influenced by Halo. You had stackable beams, so the game never specifically controlled like it ever did in Metroid Prime. And then Metroid Prime as a game, I feel like didn't have a super big influence on the 2D games that followed it, right? Like Samus Returns mm-hmm. and Dread don't feel very connected to the Metroid Prime games. Other M. If you count it as a 3D game, it's completely different entirely in its execution. As you, if you count it as you know a 2D game, the only thing it has in common is that kind of tacked-on FPS mode that, in, in, when you play it in the game, feels very um, rough in terms of how it looks in comparison to the games that they also it. share. They also share the same charge beams down, weirdly enough. They well, there's your legacy right there. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think it's how interesting it is how Metroid Prime is like the long, the best-selling Metroid game of all time until last year or this year, right? And yet, Metroid, you know, they they always kind of tweaked it afterward. It didn't have a massive impact on the 2D games, and even the original way that Metroid Prime was kind of fundamentally structured in terms of how the game, the gameplay loop, and even how it controls, never stayed the same. I always think that's really fascinating about it. Yeah, for sure. I would even say, like, um, even the very um, explorative nature of Prime isn't really uh, replicated in its mm-hmm. sequels. Because in Prime, it's very Super Metroid style, where um, it's there isn't really a set order in which... Well, I mean, there is. There is there is a somewhat linear order where the, where the devs intend you to go. But, like, you're constantly backtracking back and forth between various different areas. Some, sometimes you'll stay in an area for an extended period of time, but typically you're leaving that area, going back to another area, and then going to another area, and then going mm-hmm. to a new area, and then going back. Like, like the, the order is kind of all over the place, whereas... Prime 2 and 3, they follow what I like to call the Zelda dungeon formula, where you're very much spending most of your time in one area, then you'll go to the next area, maybe occasionally you'll go back to that area, Mm -hmm. but you're primarily going 1, 2, 3 in that order. And 2 and 3 do that, but uh, Prime 1 is really the only one that kind of sticks to that traditional kind of Metroid Explorative formula. Yeah, it's really fascinating, considering how you would think that would really kind of be replicated, but in fact they almost kind of took all the great things of what made Metroid Prime what it is and, and updated them in certain ways, left them behind and others kind of completely focused on them. Like Metroid Prime Hunters completely takes away like the exploratory part in a lot of ways. And just like, this is a f- FPS game right through and through, um, mm-hmm. you know, Metroid Prime Pinball isn't even a Metroid Prime game in, in a lot of extent. It just kind of shares the locations in the name. And then, you know, uh, two and three as you mentioned kind of have different ways of of taking metroid prime and and building on them but also in a lot of ways losing a bit of the identity of what made metroid prime what it is i think it makes a lot more sense though in two just because of that dark world aspect i think it makes sense because if you i mean if you had the dark world on top of like you know being confused of where to go i feel like that would just be like too much of a maze i feel like it makes sense for the zelda dungeon formula to work in prime two and then prime three was obviously you know, made to cater to to the more casual market that the Wii was going towards at the time. So it's yeah. still it's still very much a hardcore game, but you know, trying to open up that barrier of entry for new players. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't consider Metroid Prime any of them hardcore, but maybe for a Nintendo player, maybe. Um, like, no, like I, not a, like not a like not like you know 
uh, Nintendo Switch Sports or Wii Sports, I guess. Right. Yeah, I think it just made it more of a traditional FPS in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, where Metroid Prime was very much not a traditional FPS, and I want to talk more about that and the impact that had, I think, on gaming overall because it certainly had a significant one. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that changed about Metroid Prime from its initial kind of outing, right? Despite it being so successful and so iconic, which again does make sense. They want to, you know, you don't want to do the same thing multiple times. Though, though I think that's why Metroid Prime 4 is probably going to end up being a lot like Metroid Prime. I think they would want to get back to like as capturing the core essence of what made the original Metroid Prime what it is. Maybe making it a bit more open worldy or more, you know, exploratory, making more reminiscent of Prime 1 rather than Prime 2 and Prime 3. I also think there's certainly the Halo influ- influence again, right? Like Halo 1 was very much felt a bit more open. And even though it was a more linear game, you don't backtrack really. Um, it has that like massive sense of scale in terms of like throwing you into the unknown and having these big open areas and and feeling like it's a bit more foundational in terms of creating like the context for the world you're jumping into. And then Halo 2 and Halo 3 are very much like roller coaster rides, you know, on a track moving kind of forward, less about exploration. And I think that's kind of the same, um, I guess, the same kind of direction the Metroid Prime trilogy end up going, though not to the same extent. Certainly, Halo a lot more of a traditional FPS in that regard. But yeah, I, th- I think the leg I think the legacy that Metroid has on the series overall is both very obvious and successful, but also interesting how it influenced the game, you know, the series very positively in terms of spawning new games and making money for Nintendo and all that and making new fans of the series. On the other hand, not actually like super influencing as much as you would think other parts of the series, especially the the 2D franchise. Did you ever think at any point that maybe the 2D games in the series would take more from the FPS tiles? You always think that that would be more of a a separation between the two. I was kind of hoping that there was, especially with like Samus Returns, where they, especially like in regards to the music, you know, you saw a lot more, a lot more music cues, some directly taken from the Prime games, others like um, new arrangements of stuff that appeared in the Prime games and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, I, I the the biggest and most obvious one I think was that kind of uh, that uh, that record of Samus theme that plays um, that plays at the end of Prime the the rearrangement of Talon Four where that shows up again in Samus Returns and I was hoping that that would become a mainstay but apparently not so mm-hmm. but yeah so other than that though there isn't really that much design cues taken from Prime maybe like some of the additional like maybe the additional uh, neon green lights on the power suit, maybe that was... Because, like, Prime is, like, what really started that trend, and, like, a lot of the games since then have kind of built off that. But otherwise, I feel like a lot of those um, influences have been more subtle for the most part. Uh, you certainly haven't seen, like, major story influence between the two. Yeah, I almost kind of wonder... Yeah, I mean, aside from, like, Proteus Ridley showing up in Samus Return, yeah. which was less story implication, maybe just, you know, uh, throwing you a bone kind of thing. It's interesting. I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that like Metroid Prime wasn't made internally, right? It was made by Metro Studios, and maybe they didn't want to take necessarily those cues. And then, of course, the translation of those. Like, I still wish after playing, um, you know, Prime 2D, right? Like that we had like a scan visor that we could use in the 2D games. I always thought that would be such a a natural translation, right? But as much as on the, on the other hand, I think it is interesting how at least the, the Metroid Prime formula was adapted over time, much like the Metroid 2D Metroid formula has changed over time. We talk about on this show a lot how we always want, you know, the, the Metroid formula, so to speak, to, you know, be modernized and, and evolve over time. I think, like, the slide, obviously, 
has helped that. But like to kind of keep it up to par with you know other Metroidvania games in the genre. Um, and then we just talked about how like the Metroid Prime formula went from you know what was introduced in Metroid Prime, and then you introduced you know um, ammo and and the dark and light worlds and that kind of stuff into Metroid Prime Two, which certainly shaked up the formula. Then you add stackable beams, which is a two D Metroid thing actually. Then coming into Metroid Prime Three, and then you have stackable beams in that game. And in the 2D games, they kind of have their own formula. Super Metroid and the previous games work in their own way. Metroid Fusion adds that, well, now you don't want to necessarily just fight enemies. You want to get close to them so you can absorb, you know, them for nutrients. And then in Samus Returns, it introduces, you know, or even other M, you have finishing moves. And then 2D Metroids beyond that add, you know, dodges and counters and flash jumps. And so how you interact with combat has completely changed. Uh, how you interact with in combat with other things has completely changed in the Metroid series. And I think... Metroid Prime also had that similar uh, progression, but not necessarily mixing so much with the 2D games. And I'm wondering what that'll, you know, how that'll look at in Metroid Prime 4 for sure. I definitely think that there's going to be a lot of quality of life improvements to just general movement, if not the combat itself. I think we both agree Prime 4 is going to have dual analog controls. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's, I would be. I, if they don't do that, that would be the most Nintendo move ever. But I don't think even <laughs> Nintendo yeah. uh, would would allow that to happen. I I feel pretty confident that we're going to have dual analog in Prime Four. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, beyond that, I feel like Prime Three tried to Prime Three took a, a lot of influence from Zero Mission with stuff like the um, uh, those grapple transits. I felt like those were kind of influenced by the um, the, the cranes and crane layers that you could hang off of and. Also related to that, the power grip that was introduced in Zero Mission, you had these little points in Prime 3 where you could like crawl up onto mm. a ledge and it would give you the, the cinematic cutscene of you getting onto the ledge with these uh any ledge that had like these green bars like lining them. Uh nowadays like an FPS is like um mantling and ledge hopping and going yeah. you know, just casually going over cover is such a normalized thing now. I feel like it wouldn't be too out of the realm for Metroid to adopt that as well, because that's essentially like what the power grip was. That's actually a good point. It is. Uh, I think yeah, you would definitely think by now Metroid Prime Four would have one of those very uh, common things in the genre. But you could also point to it like, oh hey, you know, it's also maybe inspired by by this. Um, I think you could do it from both. I feel yeah. like it could be a quality of life improvement drawn from those games, but you could also bring it more in line with what the power group's intent to be to give it, you know, that unique Metroid twist to it. A hundred percent. So instead of, so instead of just mantling over ledges, maybe you could actually hang off ledges and observe the environment. And maybe that would be Ooh. pertinent to solving puzzles. Yeah. And I mean, that's also part of the gameplay loop for Metroid dread as well. Right. And using mm-hmm. the, you know, your magnet hands in that game to also shoot from, you know, different angles and whatnot by hanging off walls or sticking to them. Really. I, I, that's actually a really good point and never something I didn't really think about is now how Metroid Prime coming into the, I guess, modern era of games after being away for so long, how that'll translate and what those updates will look like to that formula. I'm really excited about that. That's really cool. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cool potential there for sure. I'm yeah. very excited. Um, I want to jump back to one of the Zoid stories for Metroid Prime that we had talked about, you know, the fridge uh, debacle earlier on the show. And I think the one that was my favorite that I wanted to jump into was um, this was, I believe, Zoid talking about one of the encounters in the game whenever Samus interacts with something that has like electrical force or electrical, you know, electric field around it or some kind of electricity in the area around Samus. Obviously, one of the most uh, 
immersive parts of the game is are the different effects you get when you're playing through Samus's visor, right? Like the game immediately plays with two of those ideas early in the game. You land in a town overworld and you look up at the sky and raindrops land on your visor. Um, not too soon after that, or not too later after that, I believe in Chosen Ruins, you walk through those, you know, tight hallways and you get the, the fog. And I even think that happens in Frigate Orpheon, like in the very first area of the game. You get like, uh, you know, vapor, you know, sprayed onto your, you know, smoke, um, you know, blows, blasted onto your visor and it fogs up your visor, right? Stuff like that. Another effect that happens in the game is the electrical interference when she'll approach like an electrical enemy or whatever, walk by one in the game, and it'll kind of like static up her, her visor. If you play the game, you certainly remember that. So according to Zoid, this was actually um, a result of trying to figure out how to use, you know, a noise texture with the limited capabilities of the GameCube's memory at the time. It only had 24 megabits of, of RAM. So instead of just using a like a low res texture which would take up a lot of memory in the game apparently um they are actually to make that effect happen just to you know look this up if you're listening to the show look this up look up the visor effect or even just go on zoid's you know twitter and kind of get a, a, a reminder of a refresher really of what it looked like when that static happens on her visor what they actually did was that they used the code of the game itself to make that effect essentially when you see samus's visor affected by electrical noise in the game what you're actually seeing are the bits and bytes of the metroid prime software code being rendered on screen and using that machine code to create this visual effect of essentially static or noise electrical noise and making that effect happen i think that's I mean, <laughs> a, a crazy ingenious thing because I had no idea. I don't think anyone even really knew this. And it works so perfectly in the effect. And it, it, it kind of looks like when your your TV goes really stacked out, right? Back in the day when TVs did that, right? And you went to a channel that didn't have any, you know, there was nothing on there. It was just static or you changed to an input that didn't have any, you know, didn't have your PS2 or your GameCube on it or whatever it was. And now you have this effect in game. I thought that was genius when I read that. Yeah, I, w- I always thought that that was like a picture or maybe even like a video effect that was like layered on top of the visor. I would have never guessed that was the actual game code mm-hmm. just actually being distorted in real time like that. It's such and it's so subtle too. it. It's not just it's not just slapped on. It will like slowly fade in, like depending mm-hmm. on the position of the enemy. It's such a cool effect. It's honestly, it's, it's again, one of those things where like game development is is magic and you can't tell me otherwise. But I need to. What I need to know now is uh, how they did the effects on the uh, the res bits in Prime Twos, the, where they actually mm. hack your visor and you have to reboot uh, the actual various suit. Like that, I want to know how they did that. Yeah, I'm wondering if that was maybe branched off from this or just a complete different, you know, solution, right? Because as Zoid mentions, it just was like an engineer on the team, like, hey, what if we try this? Like, so much of game development is like trial and error or like something, an accident, or like you see an interaction, like, whoa, this is kind of interesting. Or you do something and it results in something you didn't expect. You're like, well, let's either not touch it because it'll break or we like it and we'll keep it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Again, such an awesome thing. Again, really recommend checking out um, Zoid CTF on Twitter to you know see these little stories. And he actually has a little clip there to show you an example of it is you try to look at it and you're like, wow. That's you're literally seeing the game code. It's almost like meta, right? Because that's through Samus's eyes. So Samus is literally seeing the code of her universe being shown in front of her <laughs> face, and that's yeah, that's actually 
actually kind of wild to, to think about that. Um, so let's, let's continue a little bit through here. Um, we talked about kind of the impact on the series. We talked about a couple of the, the moments that Zoid had mentioned on Twitter. What about the impact on just games in general outside of Metroid, you know, with Metroid prime Metroid prime. I mean, nowadays, if you were someone who wanted to work in game development, you know, in your twenties or thirties or forties, nowadays, you probably played Metroid prime might've been inspired by the game to either get into game development or something that inspired you as a game developer or a student at the time. Um, and just games that came out around that time or the, the you know period of time that came, you know, in the 2000s that followed Metroid Prime's release, I'm sure this game had a number of, of specific influences on games and on the genre. So what, what, what would you say just as your overall feelings and thoughts on this? Like, what do you, what do you think the impact Metroid Prime had? What do you think the impact was um, on not just Nintendo games, not just Metro games, but just games in general. Do you think it had a significant impact? Do you think it was kind of more isolated? Um, do you think it's well, really just the game was successful and it was a, it was a successful game and it was a hyped game and it was well-received and it sold well for the GameCube and that was that? What do you think? I, I think most of the impact Metroid had was relegated within its within the series itself. I mean, it was Metroid Prime that pretty much you know, launched, you know, what we've dubbed the golden era of Metroid as, as yeah. it is. But really outside of that bubble, I don't want to say the impact is non-existent because, I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, as a Doom fan, I can tell you right now, there's absolutely some subtle Metroid Prime influence in uh, Doom 2016 and Eternal. But, like, um, outside of that, really, like, it's it's not like, I can definitely point to other games, you know, like Halo, that definitely had an influence on Metroid, Prime 3 in particular, but in terms of like other games that Prime specifically influenced, you know, I, you know, obviously we have you know the Metroidvania resurgence, you know, that happened in like the um, the 2010s and whatnot. Now like Metroidvanias are like a big indie genre that's popped up, but that's less Metroid Prime and more Metroid in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 2D Metroid, 2D Metroid especially, but I would say Metroid in general in regards to that, not necessarily specifically what Prime did. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I definitely agree that Metroid Prime had a significant influence on its own series. I I would contend that Metroid Prime maybe didn't have a because ma- again, Metroid Prime as it controlled did not have an influence on games, and they would the games games went in the complete opposite direction. Dual analog became a thing, obviously, on you know PC mouse and keyboard is the the king and queen of of controlling an FPS game for sure, um, and then. It looks great on the GameCube, but I think it's really unique art style. Maybe it might have influenced some games, but it certainly helped the game age pretty well. I think Metroid Prime had a really big influence on two genres. First, absolutely FPS games in general. I think Metroid Prime was one of the earliest games to really show that FPS games don't just have to be a Doom or a Quake or a GoldenEye. Like, it didn't have to be, like, crazy competitive or crazy combat focused or crazy intense it showed that there's a lot more depth i think to the fps genre and that's why i always kind of not fight back but also kind of push back on people to say metroid prime isn't an fps because it doesn't play like halo or call of duty i'm like well that's exactly why um you shouldn't discount it as an fps because it's not a traditional one but it expands and opens up what an fps is and it's focus on more exploration than combat and immersion rather than you know high intensity or multiplayer whatever it is that gave more depth to the genre overall and i think it did have an impact on 
FPS games going far, you know, from that, because I think we started to see, especially in the 2000s, more FPS games that were focused on ambiance and environment and worlds and the, even in some regard storytelling and, and how you approach the area. I mean, again, um, I think two games that really stick out to me in that regard, one I mentioned on the show a ton, Halo 3 ODST, right? I think very obviously uh, influenced by the Metroid Prime series. It's a slower, not super exploratory in the grand scheme of things compared to Metroid Prime, but compared to the games that, you know, it comes from in the same franchise, it absolutely is. It's a little bit slower, a little bit more ambient, a little more, you know, darker, right? Um, Metro 2033, right? A little few years away, um, separated from Metroid Prime, but again, a game that was very much involved in immersion and it certainly had combat, but the ambience and, and I guess the way of not just being a straight up violent war simulator or whatever it was, uh, it gave, I think Metroid Prime gave the, you know, open the door for a lot of developers and maybe feel more comfortable to go in that direction. And Metroid Prime, I think, was one of the first and earliest games to, to do that. And I also would uh, contest that a lot of, like, quote-unquote, walking simulator games had that inspiration from Metroid Prime, too. Like, uh, Firewatch is a game I think of. Again, very somewhat removed from Metroid Prime, but a, a game that is very much, you know, first-person. It's not an SPS, but I think those kinds of first-person adventure games that Nintendo likes to call Metroid Prime actually became a genre later down the line, even though I wouldn't consider Metroid Prime a first-person adventure. It is, I guess, technically, but it's an FPS first. But I think games that are very much specifically first-person adventures, you know, even if you're going to extrapolate to a game like Mirror's Edge, which is more more fast-paced and combat-focused, giving more breadth to the first person perspective and not having it be a doom or a quake or a call of duty or a golden eye or whatever it is, or halo um, was an, a real impact that I think Metro prime had on the industry. Uh, you actually mentioned mirror's edge there, which uh, mirror's edge, one of my favorite games of all time. I freaking love mirror's edge Great so game. much. Great game. Everyone needs to play that right now. 100%. I would, I would actually contest. I personally, I think mirror's edge is more inspired by super Mario 64 than anything else. It's <laughs> <Okay>. basically, <laughs> To me, Mirror's Edge is a first-person Super Mario 64 at, at, a, at a fundamental level. Obviously, obviously, the actual game is very, very different. But like, yeah. in terms of the, the the philosophy going on, I feel like those two games are very similar. But that's neither here nor there. Play, play it, though. Super mm-hmm. good. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, obviously Mirror's Edge and, and, and Metroid Prime I don't think are super, super connected. But I do think Metroid Prime kind of opened the door not just for FPS games to be different, but for more first person type games to stretch their limbs a little bit. Right. And mm-hmm. certainly I think Metro prime did that because of its approach to the gameplay loop. But also I think the controls kind of force you to play the game slower. Um, which is why, by the way, I, I, again, if you're listening to the show, you've probably heard me say this before, get prime hack. If you have a PC that can run emulators, get prime hack and experience Metro prime on a mouse and keyboard. It completely changes how the game feels and plays and runs and having, you know, traditional mouse and keyboard controls for an fps is awesome um but it is clear how like not having that may you know really meant that metro prime was a slower game you physically could you know had to kind of play slower because you were more limited on how you approach the world and almost felt in a way a little more alien because you're kind of operating more like a robot rather than the human that you actually are um even games that came pretty similar you know soon after metro prime like geist for example which i think was on the gamecube 
Um, another kind of FPS game, which more combat focused, but felt Metroid Prime and had those kind of influences. And obviously, Metroid Prime Hunters ended up being its own full fleshed FPS version, which I think was in turn influenced by other FPS games for sure. But I think there is a clear, you know, Metroid Prime impact and legacy beyond the games itself. And even even if we go into the developers, right? I mean, Metroid Prime was a huge success for Retro Studios. They spawned a bunch of games afterward, became one of the most, you know, cr- critically acclaimed studios of all time, right? There's almost not a bad Retro Studios game. A lot of the staff that worked on Metroid Prime and Metroid Prime 2 and 3 went off to make, again, the successful Donkey Kong Country Returns series, right? So Metroid Prime was, you know, it, it kind of sent waves through the industry. And I think it's still why it's still looked, you know, back upon so fondly by people all across, you know, fans, developers, uh, etc. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. Um, there is, I want to say, there are there any other Zoid CTF, um, other Zoid stories? Uh, there was, I, I have one more tweet that I want to talk about, then I'll throw it over to you. Um, I thought it was there interesting. Was, oh, yeah, go ahead. Actually, you go ahead. You go ahead. What do you, what do you got? Yeah, I was going to say, there was a, one of the recent ones he was talking about, um, the playtesting stage of the game. Mm. I can't remember. There was a specific... Yeah, the white a specific, paper test. Yes, yes, the white paper test where they would take like friends and family and more. I, th- I think this. I think he, he specifically used like more casual oriented gamers mm-hmm. um, into the room and and they would actually use that to influence uh, basic decisions. And one of the things that stood out to me was the uh, the steps in the main Chozo Plaza and how the steps were originally all relatively similar textures at first, but people kept missing that. And that's a very crucial like point. Like you need to go mm-hmm. across those steps after you get the morph ball so that you can make your way through like most of the Chozo ruins. And most people kept missing that. So they actually changed the first step into um, that sandy rock texture mm-hmm. at the bottom. And I just thought that was super interesting because yeah, I like that like that texture always like stood out to me. Like like when I was reading that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that that one texture, like it's probably like the first thing that caught my attention when I was a little kid and what made me like eventually explore that. Cause otherwise I would have never guessed that there, that there was a path right there. And so I, I always thought that that was like really interesting to see like the behind the scenes of that specific point. Yeah. It's so important to like create these signs and signals for people to like have their eyes kind of drawn to. So you're not like, you're kind of influencing them in a way to check out these certain things and not necessarily guiding them, but also don't want to leave them stranded. And yeah, and it's something so subtle that like I would have never like imagined was like the developers like shining a neon light like hey go here. It's such a it's such a subtle thing that like I'm sure absolutely cued me in when I was a little kid mm-hmm. because of how um, different the textures stood out from each other. Yeah, and they even me- I think he even mentions how they had to put little like the the spotlights and and different like you know, LEDs around morph ball tunnels, because even though there are these holes in the wall, people wouldn't even know like, Oh, I'm supposed to use the morph ball to go into that. Um, it's, it's incredibly important because especially as a creator of any, you know, a, an artist of any kind, it's so easy to take things for granted when you're working on the same project and going through something over and over and over, and over again, some things don't seem obvious to you or they seem obvious to you. It's almost like you don't need to, you know, make them obvious for someone who's not initiated. That really goes for anything. I mean, as a, you know, I've, I've written scripts before and that's something that you notice uh, often, right? Is that as the writer and you work on something so often, you almost miss things that don't seem obvious to other people, but are so obvious to you because your, your mind is working on this world so often that those things become second nature. 
and why you're encouraged as like a writer or whoever an artist to like not just like show your work to other writers or, or artists or developers, but to show it to people who have no idea what they're doing. Someone who might be the casual everyday person who might buy the product and be like, well, what do you get out of this? What do you see that I'm not seeing? Right. And it's interesting how even important, not just it's, it's not surprising that, you know, you have these kinds of tests done by games. I mean, even, you know, movies do that, right? Like they do, you know, um, well, like they do like those small little groups, right? I forget what they call them. Um, test screenings. Test screenings. Yeah, right. Well, they'll do that and show people the movie beforehand and be like, well, how do you feel about this? Like, what's something that we're not seeing here? And to have this not just be an integral part of the game development cycle, but also for just what we would think are small, minute details to other and uninitiated people. Those are major, right? Because those help them get through the game, especially if they've never played a Metroid Prime game before. Maybe even this is their first game, right? This is the first game they buy for the GameCube back in the day or whatever it is. I thought that was very interesting, too. And it's funny you brought that up because that's the one I was going to bring up as well. <laughs> so we don't have to go farther than that. But again, definitely, definitely recommend checking out that Twitter thread. Um, so we're almost and actually... He, and he's still, he's still posting stuff. He's still so posting, like, yeah. Yeah, by the time that this episode's finished, there's probably going to be tons of other like cool tid tidbits that like we didn't even cover because he's going up until the 20th anniversary, I believe, and he's posting at least two a day. So yeah, yeah definitely check out his Twitter, check out the posts, and give him a follow for his other stuff as well. He posts a lot of really cool stuff on his Twitter. Definitely, I also I love he's a Destiny Two fan, um, so <laughs> I, I respect that. Probably another game influenced by Metro Prime somehow. Um, I mean, they directly uh, reference the speed booster, at least. So. They do. Not Metroid, not Metroid Prime, but still. There's literally a speed booster in Destiny 2, which is crazy to me. Um, yeah, I love that. And they even reference it specifically when they're doing the update. Yeah, absolutely. They they love that kind of stuff. I'm sure they're all big fans. I mean, there's another, I think, developer at Bungie who's a big uh, Metroid fan as well. I forget his name. Um, so we're about at the, the hour mark. There's so much to talk about about Metroid Prime, but I think we don't want to retread, you know, stuff we've talked about in the show before. We're going to talk especially about especially because we got a, especially because we got a definitive ranking. I was going to say we have really a gonna... yeah, yeah we we have a lot of more Metroid Prime content coming up. But before I wanted to wrap this up, what is what would you? I, I'll give you a couple options here. Would you, what would you go with? Maybe like your favorite Metroid Prime moment of all time, or the thing you love the most about the games, or I don't know what 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 is a, a signing off message you have in terms of being a Metroid Prime fan? Like, I think I'm gonna go with one of my favorite memories, but I'm I'm thinking still. But what what's your favorite memory or th favorite thing about the games? Or you know, bid for someone to play if they haven't already. What do you got for me as we sign off here? So we talked about this during the um, the uh, mapping Metroid Talon Overworld episode, but the moment I became a Metroid fan mm. was Samus landing on Talon Four for the first time. Mm -hmm. The music kicks in. It's so it's so subtle, but it just slowly builds on top of it, and it's such a huge ju juxtaposition from the frigate tutorial beforehand. You know this, you know this dilapidated uh, mechanic hellscape, and then you have this beautiful natural greenery with the rain freshly popping out out of the sky, and that was the moment where I knew that I was walking into something unlike I'd ever experienced before. Mm. I, I'm right with you there, man. I mean, I, I think we talked about this on the Discord where I was like, I didn't completely lose my mind when I saw it. I was just so enthralled, right? Like, I was just brought into this, like, completely new world. I was so excited and to see this awesome, badass character, like, land and get ready to go to work. I was like, yes, this is this is what I'm here for. I think my favorite 
memory. This is similar or tied into what I was talking about earlier today, where like it took me a mu- a, a week or a couple weeks to like after beating Metro Ridley, like finally work up the courage to get down into the impact crater and finally fight against Metroid Prime and beat the game for the first time. I distinctly remember the first time I had ever gotten to the actual Metroid Prime boss room. And if you remember that cutscene, like you have the shot of Samus like overlooking the room. You see her kind of, you know, walk through the door, like come from the door and look out and there's a shot looking at her and there's a over the shoulder shot of Samus in her plasma sh- suit looking out towards the boss room and you see Metroid Prime, like the, the first form, hanging from the ceiling, right? That weird, like almost cocoon looking kind of form, you know, hanging as it's kind of balled up, hanging from the ceiling before it drops down. And I like so like remember that feeling of finally getting there because I worked up the courage to finally get through this after beating Meta Ridley, which in and of itself took a little time to work up the courage for. And I was like, oh my god, like, I, I, for some reason I would always play this game later at night or after school, whatever it was, so eventually it would be dark in my room and I'm playing this game, and, like, I would almost freak myself out. And, like, for the first, not the first time, but, like, other games I'd beaten to completion before then, like, you know, DK64, the N64 Zelda games, Super Mario 64, those games... Um, this was like the first one that really felt like it had like so much gravity to it and so much like scale and like really hit, like was was almost scary in a way. Like Majora's Mask also had that for me too, which is also why it's a favorite of mine um, and my favorite Zelda game. There's just something about it, and like getting to that final boss fight was just. I definitely I know it had to have sent chills down my spine. But I remember seeing that, like I could still see it in my head, seeing me like looking at it on my TV in my bedroom and like pumping myself up to to, to finally fight this this big bug. It was it was awesome, man. Like there's some feelings that you know a good game really can't um, you know something else, nothing else can really give you like a really good game. So. I'll, I'll never forget that, and I did. It took me a little bit, but I did beat it that night, so I was happy about that. Because so I, I have a couple. I have a couple of other memories. One pretty much directly tied to it. One that's kind of spawned from that. But uh, much like you, I you know we talked about it earlier. You know, it took there was a huge gap of time between me getting to the impact crater and me actually beating the game. Yeah, and basically, <laughs> what prompted me to beat the game was uh was metroid prime 2 finally i wanted to beat that before the game mm. came out because remember i didn't get prime until the very end of 2003 so okay. it was just it was about less than a year before prime 2 would hit mm-hmm. and um and uh i would actually it's actually funny because i would actually beat zero mission multiple times in between me getting to the impact crater and beating uh <laughs> beating prime finally funny enough but yeah my uh my aunt for my birthday she got me a pre-order of prime 2 and that was like Okay, before Prime Two comes out, I'm gonna face my fears, and I'm gonna do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, and so finally, actually doing that right before Prime Two came out, and it was a huge accomplishment of mine. But also, I never hundred percented the game uh, mm-hmm. until after I, I had beaten Prime Two. And so after mm-hmm. I beat Prime Two, I finally went back and did another run of Metroid Prime. This time, going for the hundred percent. And because and I had no idea at the time that Dark Samus and Prime were related. So when I finally got that 100% cutscene right after beating Prime 2, it was just like, oh, and it was just like this huge revelation for me. And I was just, and that that blew me away as a young kid. Yeah, getting that first 100% completion and seeing that cutscene was actually wild. I was like, oh my god, that's, <laughs> that kind of, like, it took me out a little bit. I also remember uh, a lot of, um, I don't know about you, but I always spent time reading the, the instruction manual because it had a little bit of lore. Oh, yeah. And like gave you like the setup for the game. 
I man, I would take my little my game booklets and like bring them on long car rides with my Game Boy Advance as well on to like whenever I was going to like a hockey game or something. And I read that thing front to back so many times. Oh, um, dude, I brought them to school with me, dude. Yeah, I <laughs> I loved all that stuff. Yeah. Oh well, it's actually crazy. Like twenty, like that is twenty years ago. That is a all, almost a, a two thirds of my life. Metroid Prime has been around. One of the earliest games that I had played, not one of the super earliest. I had played, you know, Game Boy and, and um, Game Boy Color and N sixty four games. But in the in my gaming, I guess my gaming career earlier for sure. Your one of your favorite game of all time, my favorite Metro game of all time, one of you know top three, probably my second favorite game of all time. Probably I'd say like maybe like it's it's hard. You know, there's so many great games out there, but Metroid Prime is easily one of them. Constantly ranked as one of the best games of all time. If you haven't played it, not just as a Metroid fan, but as a gamer, just someone who enjoys awesome stuff, <laughs> you gotta check it out. Um, if you're watching this podcast, I would hope you've played it at least once. <laughs> yeah, who knows, man? I mean, I still know there's a lot of people who, like, their first Metro game was, like, Samus Returns. Even or even Dread, Dread recently, yeah. yeah. So, like, there are certainly a lot of people who probably have not ever played a Metroid Prime game. Maybe not just Metroid Prime, but any of them. And I would encourage you absolutely to get your hands on it for the Wii or, you know, try to play it on a GameCube or... Play it on PC, emulate it, even with the original controls if you have to, or Prime. Hack. Ask us if you don't know how to emulate. Ask us in the Discord. Like Dak and I will absolutely help you out. I we will help you as to the as legal, legally as we can. To the legal legal extent <laughs> you know, to the extent of the law. Um, we will guide you in the right direction for sure. I love getting people into it. I I personally think Metroid Prime is the best Metroid game of all time. I think Prime Hack is the best way to experience it. But even beyond that, just going beyond Metro, you know, Prime Hack, I think Metroid Prime is certainly such a a a monumental success of a game. Not only for being a great game, but also successfully transitioning Metroid from two D to three D and translating the Super Metroid experience to a full three D game and, and making it immersive and still making Samus an awesome character and bringing so much life into the Metroid world that has shaped so much of what we know about the games today and what fundamentally is my favorite aspects of the Metroid series. All as a lot of if not all the stuff that was introduced in the metroid prime trilogy specifically in metroid prime a fantastic game i mean we've talked about you know we've done mapping metroids on like fenjana drifts we've talked about all the different amazing music from metroid prime we can go on and on about the fantastic quality of you know one of the best game soundtracks of all time in metroid prime i'm sure you obviously know that and it's crazy how far we've come in the franchise as fans that it feels like not much has even happened since Metroid Prime. We had the Golden Era, and then like not too much till uh, Dread came out. But I really hope we get a new like rebirth of the Metroid Prime series. It's been way too long. It's literally been oh almost a decade and a half since the last Metroid real Metroid Prime game. If we're not talking about Federation Force. Like it's. I hope that we get back to that real soon because I, I miss I miss Metroid Prime, man. I want to play Metroid Prime again and have a new Metroid Prime experience. Well, you know, uh, hopefully Nintendo won't cancel uh, ETH, uh, their Nintendo June Direct this year. Um, and you know, you know, if we do, if we do get a June Direct, I'm feeling optimistic. Not that that means anything. <laughs> At this point, man, I my expectations <laughs> are not are low. You know, because then I'll be happily surprised if something happens. I 
I don't know if I'm I'm waiting for the next batch of Metroid Prime remake coming out this coming out then getting mentioned here getting mentioned there. I feel like it's been about a month or two since we've had some juicy Metroid rumors and I was even looking I, up I think, like news. I think once I we anything. I think like once we hit like January or February like when the next uh, perceived direct is going to be I think that's when the rumors are going to start piling up again. And then of course when E3 comes obviously like I hope so. I hope so. I, I want to get I want to get back and I want to get my hopes up. I don't want to but <laughs> it's exciting sometimes. You're like, "Oh yeah, maybe there's something new coming out." Um it's still crazy that, you know, Metroid Dread just came out over, you know, just about 13 months ago, right? The game and, that should not exist is over a year old now. Right? Wild. And we're still Whack. waiting for the game. We're wondering if it does exist. And it's been five years since we figured out that apparently it might. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's Metroid Prime 20 years later. I uh, hope you all enjoyed our little chat about one of the greatest games of all time. And we hope you get a chance to check out the game for yourself if you haven't. If you have, maybe revisit it this week, this weekend, you know, and, and, and give it a little once over and get back into the world because it's it's fantastic i would also say uh if you have any awesome thoughts feelings memories um stories about metroid prime come through and share it with us on twitter on our youtube page on on our in our discord server right definitely check us out of course i am at dak city underscore and then doom is at Duminal Crossing, both on Twitter. We'll see how long. Duminal Cross. Duminal Cross. Duminal Cross. Duminal Cross. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the username could not fit the ing, so hmm. you know, we, we roll with what we got. You're right. Duminal Cross. Apologies. Andy at Spatiri. Was it three one six three six three one six? Yeah. Three one six. Yeah. Um, man, it's been. I can't believe we're at almost 140 episodes of this show. Um, <laughs> I should know these things. It is. Uh, it's been a fantastic again talking about Metroid Prime here with you, Doom. Um, any any last plugs for you? Any last shoutouts? Uh, yeah, you know, stay tuned to the influx of Metroid Prime tributes on uh, on this Friday on the November eighteenth, exactly twenty years later. Uh, like we mentioned before, good friend of the uh, podcast Kiwi Talks. He's got some stuff coming up, stuff that's probably already released by the time you're watching this. Cinemax has stuff coming up, and yours truly has a big music tribute coming up on Friday. Nice. Very excited uh, for you all to see that. Yeah, definitely check it out. We'll be sharing the links and, and spreading that awareness for all that stuff coming out. Um, of course, thank you all for tuning into the show, as you do every single week here at Omega Metroid Podcast. You can check us out at the Omega Metroid Pod on Twitter and OmegaMetroid.com, the website where we got news, we have um, reviews, ROM reviews, uh, we have lookbacks, we have episodes of the show going up, we have fan call. I mean, we have we have a lot of stuff on the show, uh, on the on the website, on the show, and so much more, which is great. And we thank you all for your support and checking us out and hanging out, and being part of our community, being fans of the show. And the website as well. Um, as I mentioned, we have a lot more Metroid Prime and Metroid Fusion 20th anniversary shows coming up in the near future. We have the definitive ranking of Metroid Prime next week. We have, and this this is all subject to change, but like this is pretty much the plan we've got. So that's what we're rolling with. Um, we have the Metroid Prime ranking of bosses two weeks from now, and then we have episode 143, the Metroid Fusion 20 years look back. And following that, we will have about two or three metroid fusion episodes following that as well so episode 139 which is this one up until episode 145 146 it's me metroid prime and metroid fusion which i am happy about because those are literally my two most favorite metroid 
games. So <laughs> as a as a fan of those games, I'm eating out here. And I'll try to be here for as many episodes as I can. With that said, thank you all for tuning in. This has been another episode of the Omega Metroid podcast. I have been Dak alongside Doom. We hope Andy gets better and he joins us next week. Um, feel free to join us. Get that us. Metroid back, Sandy. Yes, yes. And also check out our new... Um, we have our new store. We have our new Omega Metroid store, right? Yeah, um, we, we sell Omega Metroid drip now. It's true. Yeah, so you can get your Omega Metroid apparel. Um, I believe there's, like, sweatshirts now. There's... I think you can just get, like, the logo on a bunch of different stuff. So, which is pretty... Which is pretty dope. In fact, you can go on Etsy and you can find us on Omega Metroid merch. M-E-R-C-H on Etsy. Um, you can also find us if you go to OmegaMetroid.com and at the top, you'll find at the top, middle, top right-ish, next to our Patreon and contract tabs, if you click Merch, you'll bring, you'll get brought right there. We don't have too many items on right now, but we'll certainly be having a lot more soon. And if you want to have some Omega Metroid merch or support the show, that's one of the best ways to do that. I think that's it. I'm going to call it wraps on this episode. It's been a fantastic chat with you, Doom. And uh, for all of us here at Omega Metroid, thank you all for tuning in. And we will see you next time to talk some more Metroid. Thank you all for joining us here at the Omega Metroid Podcast. And have a great rest of your day, night, week, weekend, wherever you are listening to this. Thank you for supporting us and tuning in. And we will see you next time. <laughs>